was thinking about what to share this morning, and there's always there's always thoughts circulating through your mind. At least I hope there is. And uh, I thought of all the possible things what we could preach about. I thought about freedom, liberty. Uh, in relation to last Sunday, I thought about water. <laughs> Thankful for water this morning. And uh, I'm not exactly sure why I ended up where I ended up. Uh, this morning I'd like to share on the concept of brotherhood. And uh, so I was, I was meditating on that. I was thinking about that. Those were some of the thoughts that were going through my mind. And I had not fully settled on that yet. And Wednesday evening I was sitting here in the pew uh, listening to the prayers of some of you as you prayed. And I was, I was challenged as I, I listened. That there was quite a few of you mentioned that concept of brotherhood in your prayers. And uh, so I took that as a confirmation that uh, you know, it, it, it uh, piqued my interest in, in following through on that idea of, of the concept of brotherhood. It's something, and this sermon is for me this morning too, and uh, I felt like I needed these reminders um, you know, it's something we take for granted. It's something we, we've grown up with and we, we take it for granted many times. And it's a good reminder that there, this is not something that everybody really enjoys, the concept of brotherhood. Statement. All true Christians are members of one body. Since they are thus united, it is Christian and reasonable that they divinely love one another and that one member genuinely cares for the welfare of the other. Both scripture and nature would teach us thus. Anyone want to take a guess who may have, who I may have been quoting? Let me read it again. All Christians are members of one body. Since they are thus united, it is Christian and reasonable that they divinely love one another and that one member genuinely cares for the welfare of the other. Both scripture and nature would teach us thus. Anybody? Not a clue? It wasn't me. <laughs> Not original with me. Well, that was Menna Simons. That was a quote from Menna Simons that said that. Back in the 1500s, Menna Simons uh, made that statement. And uh, I read that statement. I had read it earlier in the week, and I, I was meditating on that statement. But I, I focused on two of the things that he, he expresses here. And uh, his conclusion of, in that statement says both Scripture and nature would teach us thus, that this is a practical thing. This is the way it ought to be. I like to uh, look at nature and my vocation as a dairy farmer. I, uh, you know, cows are sociable, social animals. They, uh, they like to live in a herd. And uh, if you try to single one out or separate one out, they, they feel uncomfortable. They find that... Uh, comfort in being one of the herd rather than being separated out and uh, I'd like to just share some thoughts that I can. I came across an interesting article article by uh, Richard Taufenanger and it was an article in regards to, this, I think Washington University had it on their site but uh, some interesting things in regards to nature social groups come in all levels from couples to herds, from two to thousands the purpose of a social group and the level it takes is often dictated by how well it serves to promote the survival of its members. For example, there's an antelope uh, which forms pairs. And then there's another species of the antelope that functions best in flocks of thousands on the African uh, desert. 
whereas the, uh, the dica dica antelope lives in heavily forested areas, and they only primarily function just in pairs as a couple because they, uh, they can be best hidden just as a small group. Um, There are, of course, groups that fall on all levels between these two extremes. Monkeys form bands of 30 or so, depending on their habitat. Generally, the more open, the more members, the more open the territory, the more open, the more members that are in the, in the band, forming a compromise between hiding in the habitat and hiding in the group. I like that concept. Hiding in the habitat or hiding in the group. And I guess, let me say in this start here, my purpose of focusing on this concept of brotherhood is so that we develop a deeper appreciation for our brotherhood and, uh, and understand what God intended it to be and how he intended it to function, that it's, it's, it's performing its desired purposes in my walk with him, in my walk with you as fellow Christians. Uh, and I, I, as I was reading that idea of hiding in the habitat or hiding in the group, uh, that is not the intent necessarily that there's that we hide in the brotherhood, uh, but that we we do find security in the brotherhood. That that's part of the purpose that we do find security in the brotherhood. Again, some of this is written from a, a, a different perspective than what we would embrace. But again, it appears the higher the neural neural complexity of the animal, the more social group is used to enhance the survival. In addition, the higher the neural Okay, I did that. In addition, the higher the neural complexity of the animal, the higher the complexity of the society. The more complex the society, the more society devotes its resources to an individual's welfare. For example, alligators will help their own young to survive, but on the contrary, they will sometimes destroy themselves or their contemporaries. Uh, humans have the most complex society of any creature on earth, which means we extend self-preservation beyond personal, physical survival. We live in extreme, complex, and interdependent societies where people band together in groups for mutual aid. And I, I guess that, that idea of mutual aid stood out to me because, you know, we, we talk about mutual aid. We use mutual aid. Our, our Midwest aid is kind of like a mutual aid. Our property coverage is mutual aid. Uh, so I was impressed as I saw that, saw that concept of mutual aid being projected in a secular uh, article. Such groups include families, friendships, associations, tribes, clans, st states, and nations. The members of these groups work together to help each other. Also, since the group enhances the members' chances of survival, group survival means personal survival. The individual benefits by supporting the group because the group reciprocates is the group reciprocates by the supporting of the individual. This is clear for most animals. Wolf packs, lion prides hunt together, allowing them to get more and bigger game whereas marmots and prairie dogs post lookouts to see the danger and warn other members of the group. Chimpanzees organize hunting bands. And uh, it was an interesting article that, that I thought. There was another, one other concept that he brought forth uh, in this article that I thought was interesting. And I mentioned the idea of thinking. And, and we, we can rationalize, we can think ahead, and we realize the value of brotherhood. We, we realize the value of mutual aid that, you know, maybe life is bigger than I can handle it in my own strength. And there's a balance between trusting the Lord and trusting the brotherhood. But I believe God can work through the brotherhood in helping us to face life together. And this is one thought that he, uh, he mentions. He says, Human ingenuity has found such a way of transporting present resources such as food, drink, shelter, mutual protection, etc., into the future 
So we, we look at, okay, what may I need? We calculate. We know that this is summer. We know that we need to put up food for the winter. We can't go out to our gardens and, and collect it. We've got to prepare. Okay? Any effort that a member of a group does that helps that group survive is recompensed in a way that the work is acknowledged later. These resources are converted into a symbolic representation for them. And uh, the human ability to think, which provides us many advantages for survival, carries with it a disadvantage. Catch that. We, we, we rationalize, we think, but he says there's a disadvantage. Being able to think about the future means being able to worry about it as well. <laughs> so we, we think we got life, we think we got life in our hands and we, we prepared for the, for the winter. We prepared for retirement. We prepared for 20 years down the road. But then he says we can also worry about it. Most people imagine what their future will be like. They project current conditions into the future, usually based on past experience. It is normal for people to be concerned whether they will have the resources they need. However, worry is, however, however, worry is when such expectations concentrate on a negative result. This can have a negative effect on the person's psychological health. Money is again, once again, money is once again the major resource about which people worry. It's how people can get the other resources that they need. The fear of not having enough money for current needs or thinking there won't be enough for future needs can create the same psychological effects as any other threat. And it causes the stress of the fight-or-flight syndrome. Sufficient stress, particularly unrelieved stress, can be as dangerous to personal survival as a predator. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective. God has given us brains. God has given us the ability to think and rationalize. But yet, in, in all of that, in our complexity, he wants us to put faith in him. Just like the children of Israel. The deliverance that they... And I was, as we were discussing the Sunday school lesson, I was thinking... I, I looked ahead, I thought, you know... Maybe we're going to Galatians next in our science of quarter, but I, I saw it's in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I believe, 2 Corinthians. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, Galatians would have been a good fit, and I don't know how they, how they figured that out. But uh, anyway, um, you know, yet in all that, God expects us to express faith, live faith, and put faith in him as we face life and the uncertainty of life. And uh, so that's a challenging thought. And, and he, he gives us the brotherhood. Uh, as a, I don't know if the, if, if the word tool is the correct term to use, but he gives us a brotherhood as, as a protection agency or as a, a resource, maybe would be better used, to, to face the future, that we can find uh, comfort in, in that uh, experience in the brotherhood. I wanted to mention, you know, I, I mentioned in the own start the, the statement by Mano Simons. Now, I, I read that statement very simply. and But, you know, I, I want to help you to understand the, the, the context in which Mano gave that statement. And I, I brought along my martyr's mirror this morning. And as I was thinking about the, the context that, that Mano gave that statement, you know, that, uh, that uh, you know, that, Brotherhood love, brotherhood concern, brotherhood relationship is, is something that is important. But you know, there, the, the, the context in which he gave that statement is somewhat so different than what you and I are experiencing today. It was a life and death issue. And uh, they were constantly being challenged uh, to reveal who they went to church with, who, 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 who baptized them, who taught them. Uh, I don't have to worry this morning that somebody's going to ask you next week, where did you go to church on Sunday? Or who talked? Or who preached? I don't have to worry about that. And Menno made that statement 
that, okay, there is brotherhood. Scripture and nature would teach us that. We need to have Christian brotherhood, Christian relationships in, in, our, in our relationship with Christ. We are, we are members of one body. We are united in, in our love for Christ. And it's reasonable and, and divinely that we ought to express divine love to one another and, and express care for one another. And as I thought about that, I, I thought about, you know, okay, how can we understand the context that, that he gave uh, that statement? And in a limited way, I'd like to read to you uh, the dialogue that takes place between an early church Christian, a woman by the name of Elizabeth, identified only by her first name here, that, and listen to the dialogue as she converses with her inquisitors as her faith was put to the test. This is Elizabeth, and the date is 1549. Elizabeth was apprehended on the 15th of January, 1549, when those who had come to apprehend her entered the house in which she lived. They found a Latin testament. Having secured Elizabeth, they said, We have got the right man. We have, we have now the teacher us. Adding, Where is your husband? Men of Simon's, the teacher. They then brought her to the townhouse the following day. Two of the constables took her between them to prison. She was then arrayed before the council and asked upon oath whether she had a husband. Elizabeth answered, We ought not to swear, but our words should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. I have no husband. The Lord's responding, We say that you are a teacher and that you seduce many. We have been told this, and we want to know who your friends are. Elizabeth, My God has commanded me to love my Lord and my God and to honor my parents. Hence, I will not tell you who my parents are. For what I suffer for the name of Christ is a reproach to my friends. The Lord's responded, We will let you alone in regard to this, but we want to know whom you have taught. Elizabeth, Oh no, my lords, let me in peace with this, but interrogate me concerning my faith, which I will gladly tell you. Lords, we shall make you so afraid that you will tell us. Elizabeth responded, I hope through the grace of God that he will keep my tongue so that I shall not become a traitress and deliver my brother into death. The Lord's responded, What persons were present when you were baptized? Elizabeth. Christ said, Ask them. This She's quoting scripture here in John 18, 21. Christ said, Ask them that were present or who heard it. And I was using the express words of Jesus when he was challenged on some of his questions. The Lord's responded, Now we perceive that you are a teacher, for you compare yourself to Christ. Elizabeth. No, my lords, far be it from me, for I do not esteem myself above the offscarring which are swept out from the house of the Lord. The Lord's responded, What then do you hold concerning the house of God? Do you not regard our church as the house of God? Elizabeth, No, my lords, for it is written, Ye are the temple of the living God. For as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. 2 Corinthians 6.16 I guess that was one of the things that challenged me was the amount of scripture that she had in her memory that she responded to them. The Lord's responded, do you hold, What do you hold concerning our mass? Elizabeth, my lords, of your mass, I think nothing at all, but I highly esteem all that accords with the word of God. Lords, what are your views with regard to the most adorable holy sacraments? Elizabeth, I have never in my life read in the holy scripture of a holy sacrament, but of the Lord's Supper. And she also quoted the scripture regarding this. Lords, be silent, for the devil speaks through your mouth. Elizabeth, yea, my lord, this is a small matter, for the servant is not better than his lord. The Lord's responded, You speak from a spirit of pride. Elizabeth, No, my lords, I speak with frankness. Lords, what did the Lord say when he gave these disciples the supper? Elizabeth, what did, he, what did he give them, flesh or bread? Lords, he gave them bread. Elizabeth responded, Did not the Lord remain sitting there? Who then would eat the flesh of the Lord? 
The Lord's responded, what are, your, what are your views concerning infant baptism, seeing that you have been rebaptized? Elizabeth, no, my lords, I have not been rebaptized. I have been baptized once. So she's not giving recognition to her first infant baptism. And that was one of the marks of the Anabaptists. They actually disregarded that earlier baptism, not even a baptism at all. And I thought that was impressive. I have not been rebaptized. I have been baptized once upon my faith, for it is written, that baptism belongs to believers. The Lord responded, are our, children, are our children damned then because they are baptized? Elizabeth, no, my lords, God forbid that I should judge the children. The Lord responded, do, not seek, do you not seek your salvation in baptism? Elizabeth replied, no, my lords, all the water in the sea could not save me, but salvation in Christ, Acts 4.10, and he has commended me to love God, my Lord, above all things, and my neighbor as myself. The Lord's replied, Have the priests power to forgive sins? Elizabeth, no, my lords. How should I believe this? I say that Christ is the holy, the only priest through whom our sins are forgiven. And that was Hebrews 7.21. And that comes back to what we were talking about in our Sunday school lesson, that high priest that we have in Christ Jesus again. And uh, we could continue reading here, but uh, it's an interesting uh, uh she actually paid with her life. Sentence was passed upon her on March 27th of 1549. She was condemned, condemned to death by drowning. There was another article that followed after that I thought was interesting. But, you know, she, she very, very violently stood up to the test of brotherhood in not betraying her, uh, those that, her brotherhood, those that she worshipped with, those that she fellowshiped with. And uh, the fact that they found a Latin testament I thought was interesting in the... In the and they seem to think that very likely that would have belonged to uh, Menno Simons, perhaps. But uh, And so uh, whether she knew Latin, I don't know. Whether Menno was there and, and had just escaped, I'm not sure. Uh, Menno, of course, Menno Simons did not suffer a death of a martyr. He was uh, fortunate enough to uh, find uh, protection in some of the uh, surrounding area. But the other article that I found, another story that I found, I'm going to just tell this uh, as I knew it, um, and the reason I mentioned this article, these, this was uh, two Christians that were a, uh, a believer, early believer, back in the same year, 1549. And uh, his name was, uh, I lay my eyes on it. Okay, he's unnamed. But there was, uh, there was around 20 Christians that were imprisoned in Amsterdam. And uh, the one early Christian had two brothers who were, of uh, notorious uh, rough nature, and it said they frequent the taverns. And uh, they were not spiritual brothers, but they were physical brothers. And the reason I, that's the reason I bring this story in, because uh, I thought it was fascinating that they, even though they were not spiritual brothers, not believers in Christ, yet they were physical brothers. So these two brothers one night were out at the tavern, and they thought about their third brother who was imprisoned in the castle uh, because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And as they were drinking, they were getting happy and good and, and felt like they were up to a task. And so they, they, they made a vow to each other. They said, you know, that his time of inquisition was coming close. His, the, uh, his trial was coming up and they knew it was probably going to be the end of his life. And so they said, we've got to do something to deliver him. And so they, they made a vow between themselves and before God. And says they threw their hats in the air and went home that night and slept. And the next morning they woke up sober and they said, what have we done? We have made a vow to God. We have made a vow to each other to go in and deliver our, our third brother from this prison, this castle. And they said, well, uh, regardless of their nature, they said, we've got to be true to this. So they, they collected their uh, material that they thought would work, and they schemed. 
And they knew the neighbor of a, a man that lived close by. Jan Janus was his name, by the castle there. And so they, they walked and they gave, had a basket with their supplies and they thought it would work for the deliverance. And they put it there at this Jan Janus house. And this Jan Janus actually had an, a, a brother that was also in the same prison. Albert Janus, his name was. And so he... He left, they left their stuff there, and they went, and under the cover of night later, they came back and collected their material that they needed for breaking into this prison. And I don't know what a boat hook is. Anybody know what a boat, boat hook is? I know it's an anchor. That's all I can think of. But anyway, they threw this thing up, and, and it, it caught in the window somehow, or went through the bars of the window, and then they, they rappled up to the window of the castle and broke in through this window and delivered the 20 prisoners that were in this prison that Jan Janus's one, uh, and well, Jan Janus's brother was Albert Janus, but he had a peg leg, he had a wooden leg, and he said, he said, there's no way he can get out of here. And furthermore, he said, I don't want to get out of here. I'm ready to offer my life for that as a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it would be difficult. He said, I'll, I'll impede the rescue effort. And he was willing to sacrifice his life for the, the sake of the rest getting away. He said, I'll stand out with my peg leg. And he said, I'm going to slow the... Uh, the rescue effort down. So he stayed there, but the rest all got out. And so this, uh, this unnamed brother was delivered because of the, uh, the planning of, uh, of his two physical brothers, even though they were not believers in Christ. And uh, Well, those are just some things that I, I thought about as I thought about brotherhood. You know, think of the indebtedness those others felt at the deliverance. Uh, I think I would have been relieved. I would have welcomed that deliverance. Uh, you know, the, the methods of torture and, uh, and persecution that they used to ty- try and derive. I didn't read on there further in Elizabeth's account, but, you know, they, they had a method of uh, putting screws and, and pinching the flesh to, to insert, uh, put them in pain so that they would cry out and, and try to derive the information that they, they wanted from. But she was faithful. Well, what does, what does the Scripture say? This is where I want to conclude. What does the Scripture say about brotherhood this morning? And uh, So I have a number of Scriptures here I want to read through talking about brotherhood and help us to gain uh, the concept of brotherhood. What, you know, these are just some preliminary, you know, men have said nature you know, would tell us that it teaches that it's a good experience. Um, I looked at the early church experience. I, I believe brotherhood is important to us. 1 John 4, verse 20 if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath not seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? That's an interesting verse, 1 John 4.20. What is hate? What is hate this morning? Well, I wanted to mention... Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, before I went to the verse here in 1 John 4, 20. Is that hate today the same as what Cain and Abel experienced back there in the beginning of time? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, that account uh, where Cain slew Abel, and uh, in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? But it was hate that moved and prompted Cain to slew, slay his brother Abel. Is hate the same today as it was then? Hate is the opposite of love, we might say. It would be one way we could describe it. Hate is the opposite of love. Uh, where does it come from? 
well, I, I believe it's evil, it's hurtful, it's selfish, and it's sin. Those four things, evil, hurtful, selfish, and sinful. But you know, the, the dangerous thing about hate is that it doesn't come labeled with a skull and a crossbone. It doesn't come that way. You know, I don't think when Cain, going back to the account there in Genesis 4, where Cain and Abel had their little, I shouldn't say little, where they had their disagreement there out in the field when they were talking. You know, I don't think he planned that it would get that far. You know, it doesn't come with a skull and a crossbones, nor does it even every nor does it even come with a danger or caution signage on it. And that's what's so subtle about it. It can develop, it can fester, it can grow in a relationship beyond our comprehension and imagine, just like Cain and Abel's experience here. If a man say, now going back to the verse there in first John four twenty, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. That's the word of God saying that. It's impossible. God's saying we cannot. We need to have love as a brotherhood if we're going to have love for God. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath not seen, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And uh, so that's what the scripture says this morning. Going to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Another verse here, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Question I ask myself, what kind of a brother am I? Will friendships develop into a brotherhood relationship? Uh, I think it's talking about a progression there. Friend loveth at all times, but yet a brother is even there. It's a brotherhood level of relationship when Nothing is being reciprocated back to me. I'm doing it because I know you need it. I'm here to help you, not because of anything that I will get. A friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. It's a true brother that will stand up and lend a helping hand in time of adversity. And again, you can ask yourself, as I ask myself, what kind of a brother, and this is, gender neutral here, and what kind of a brother or sister am I in relation to my responsibility to the brotherhood. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. It says honor all men. All Christians are brothers. I was challenged as I looked. It said honor all men. You know, that means the homeless man standing on the Traffic Island in Rochester outside Walmart. You know, sometimes we feel a little uh, uncertain what our response should be. But you know, it's another human being. Some of my same species uh, standing there. Maybe my perspectives are different. Maybe my goals are different. Uh, but I don't know him. I don't know his background. But he needs the Lord. And God loved him. Honor all men, it says. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. And I like that connection. We need to... If we're going to be what God wants us to be, we need to show respect to all men. They deserve it. We need to love the brotherhood. That needs to be our response to each other in a smaller setting. Fearing God and then honoring the king, it goes beyond that. A few verses in Ecclesians that I want to read. Ecclesians chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. 
For if they fall, the one will help up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Familiar verses there. The value of brotherhood, it says there's a good reward. Now, if the Bible says there's a good reward on something, it's, it's something that we ought to covet after. It's something we ought to place a value on. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So when we can work together as a brotherhood, there's a good reward in that. Uh, we can benefit each other. We both benefit from it. Uh, whether it's I'm doing the labor, whether you're doing the labor, whether we're doing the labor together for the Lord, it, it's God's kingdom that we're working in. It's not about me. It's not about you. But we have a good reward. And some of that might be experienced here. But I believe beyond that, there's an eternal reward. When God can work through the, us as a body of believers, remember what Mano said, we're members of, of one body. And Christ is the head of that body. And as we, we function together in our different roles, there's a good reward in, as we function together. It's something that I think we cannot afford to be without. How many times do I sell out and settle for something far less because it's not the way I think it ought to be and not being done the way I think it ought to be done? And, you know, there's, 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 there's a place for individuality. We all have our different perspectives. But, you know, I think it needs to be guarded with caution because we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. A uh, couple of verses here in John 13, verses 34 and 35 a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And that was one of the... Uh, I, I looked for it and I couldn't find it where it was written, but uh, that was one of the uh, testimonies about the early Christians was how they loved one another. And that should be our one of our identifying marks is how we love one another. And that's what... Jesus is telling his disciples here in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Christ isn't asking something of us. You say, well, you don't know who my brother is. You don't know who's in my church. You don't know who's in my community or neighborhood or my family. But you know, Christ doesn't ask something of us that he did not demonstrate himself. God never does that. Christ doesn't do that. You think of the love that Christ exemplified toward his enemies. And uh, toward those that should have been, uh, the religious leaders that should have been uh, embracing his coming. You think of the love that he showed toward them. Christ isn't asking something about something that he didn't demonstrate himself. And so he, ta he shows us how to do it. Um, the idea of identity. I wanted to read uh, an article from the Anabaptist Voice, I believe it is by James Landis. Um, he had some interesting articles here. The identity, um, the thought of identity, brotherhood aspect. He says, to become a heathen Baptist ushered in a sense of brotherhood familiar only to those who looked at the New Testament churches as models to be copied. This brotherhood of being one in Christ was something distinctly radical to the Catholic and the Reformed churches of Switzerland. Among the believers, a great need arose for the strength of the body. They yearned to be together, to hear the teaching of the word, to feel the power of the songs and hymns that were sung, and to share the joys and sorrows of life with one another. 
in caves, in houses, in barns, in forests, a fellowship they never found in the majestic cathedrals of their time. They established an alms fund to help the needy among them. Collectively, they shared what they had to help those whose love whose loved ones suffered confiscation of their goods, exiles, imprisonments, torture, and death. Though many Baptists suffered terribly under torture, they still refused to divulge the names and the whereabouts of their brethren. In the beginning, there was no formal, there was no formal church government to organize the movement. Most of early leaders were martyred or died soon after they took up the cause. It is true that some believers who followed men and left biblical obedience went astray. Some, like the Munster, Munsterites used force in an attempt to set up the kingdom of God on earth and thus gave the Anabaptist movement a bad name. But as a whole, the movement was directed by biblical obedience and local leadership rather than a centralized authority. Anabaptists rejected a distinct line of ascending authority such as that practiced by the Catholics, the priests, the bishop, the archbishop, the cardinal, and the pope. Anabaptists knew one another as brethren and called their ministers and deacons to serve the brotherhoods as equals rather than calling the leaders to positions of authority, power, and wealth. Servants came from the local brotherhood. Yes, the writings of men of Simon said others did give some direction to the churches, but the writings had no church power to force its decisions on the local congregations. That authority came later in the movement along with, the out, along with some outstanding problems. Anabaptists believed that the New Testament teaching that the errant sinners should be publicly put out of the brotherhood until they repented and could be lovingly restored. That desire to maintain purity of life within Christ's kingdom set the Anabaptists apart from all the state churches where sinful members could not be set where sinful members could not be separated from a sinful world under the dominion of Satan. The common belief in the kingdom of Christ and the practice of holy living united Anabaptists. These brethren were also drawn together by the horrible persecution which Satan stirred against them. The result of these two forces created a strong brotherhood among the Anabaptists that stood distinctly separated them from the world around them. I'll stop reading there. But uh, I thought that was interesting, his perspective, James Landis and Anabaptist's voice, that that gave an identity. Does does my brotherhood give me an identity? I I think it should. Uh, As I think of being a part of the body of Christ and also our local body of believers. Hebrews 13.1 is another scripture. It says, let brotherly love continue. Very simple statement. Let brotherly love continue. Uh, sounds simple, but can we let it continue? Are there obstacles? It means remove all other obstacles and let brotherly love continue in our relationship, in our church, here at Prairie. It means let brotherly love continue. Uh, it may take effort. It may take sacrifice on my part. It may take uh, God working in my life. To let brotherly love continue. But God God tells us, he says, let brotherly love continue. God wants that to be the, the continuing force in our relationships. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. I, I like that verse. I believe it brings joy and glory to God when brotherhood is demonstrated. In our relationship. Notice that. Fulfill ye my joy. You think of our relationship. You may think it maybe don't matter. I'm not sure. I mean I know it don't matter. I know it matters. Because God tells us that it brings joy to him. That we be like minded. Having that same love. One accord. One mind. Do I demonstrate. Do we demonstrate brotherhood daily. And again like I said our culture and our society is so uh, forbearing and so lax. That we maybe are missing a 
a, a part that would bond us together. But I don't think it has to be that way. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of life cannot be separated from my words. You can, I can say what I'm saying really has no tells nothing about me. You say that's foolish. You're telling. What I'm saying is telling something about me. What you say tells me something about you. Tells me what's inside here. Tells me what's inside your heart. What we're saying this morning, what I'm saying this morning, I need to always... I need to always let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good. So whatever I share, whatever I say, ought to be to the benefit of somebody else. Always, always having the other person's best interest in mind, what comes out of my mouth. That's a challenge for me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Again, Christ is that bond, that that gives us that unity of brotherhood. Psalms 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Have I asked God to build... Actually, this verse was... This psalm here was used in our, our wedding, and I've used it in several weddings as well. This is our devotional at Lawson and I's wedding. And... Um, you know, we think of it in relation because of what it says about the Lord building the house. But as I thought about that, I thought, you know, it's probably could be talking about something else. It's talking about relationships here, brotherhood relationships. When have I asked God to build our relationships as a brotherhood? Ask God to keep a watch over your friendships. Uh, you know, I may think that I have control over all of my relationships. But, you know, I don't. It's God that can give that has the ability to build our relationships. As I find my place before Him, and as I am what I ought to be before God, I believe God can build our relationships, our friendships. Uh, I don't have the ability to watch over all of my relationships. God can do that for me. And uh, we need to trust our relationships to Him. We have that confidence. Malachi 2, verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Well, we talk about being part of the family of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I think that's important. And uh, the challenge that Malachi is saying that we need, to, we need to guard that relationship. Is not God our Father? Are we not? Has He not created us all? And uh, yet sometimes we... We, we stoop to something less than brotherhood relationships. Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 3. What, uh, these are common verses that we uh, often think about when we think about brotherhood. Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. What is a burden? Well, a burden could be spiritual, I believe. I believe it could be material. And I believe it could take on some other different forms, I believe. Uh, burdens may be different things for different people. Uh, what may be a burden to me may not be a burden to some of you. But uh, can I identify the burden? It's talking about a spiritual burden here. If a man be, if you which are, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one. Um, 
And we like to use that, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That we exercise uh, the golden rule in our relationships, that I'm here to help you. I want to help you to succeed in life. It's, it's better when we have someone to help us to bear the burden. And uh, there are times when we think that we have more than we can handle. And it, it's reassuring when someone comes alongside of us. Dropping down to verse 10 there in Galatians chapter 6. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Doing good unto all men, but then especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And unto us as a brotherhood, we, ought to, we have a, a different level of obligation than the man standing on the street on the traffic island in Rochester, perhaps. We do have a different level of responsibility. It mentions the idea of opportunity there. Uh, do we not? How many times do I let opportunities slip when I, I could have made it lighten someone else's burden? That's a challenge to me, that as we share together and as we live in our community here, that we that brotherhood is, is important and that we realize how important it is, that I realize how important it is. The concept of brotherhood is not a new concept. It's, it's biblical, and it's, it's something that uh, God, uh, from the beginning of time, wanted to see exemplified in his people. And uh, it's important that in our culture, we say our, our culture has gotten fast-paced, and it has, but is that a threat to our, our brotherhood? Uh, we're busy, and we all have our personal responsibilities, but yet there needs to be time. I believe brotherhood needs to be a, a priority, and brotherhood needs to be something that is important. And uh, that's the concept that I want you to take home this, this morning with you, that brotherhood is, 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 a, is an asset and a value that will help us own to glory. And it's something that I need, each one of us needs personally. And so we, may we use that as a resource and a gift from God to keep us uh, on our walk with him.